0: From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000. Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com.
1: Hey, no attention to the man behind the curtain. We will not be taking your phone calls today. Uh, We have a very special edition of EWTN's Open Line. We're live at the Legatus Summit in beautiful Dana Point, California. So we won't be taking your phone calls today. We've got some special guests lined up uh, to uh, edify you, entertain you, and hopefully edify you, anyway, as we go along. Uh, today, I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Uh, your call screener is Matt Kubensky. He's probably sitting in there, even though there aren't going to be any phone calls. He's probably still sitting there, if I know Matt, because if he's sitting in there, no one's going to ask him to do anything. Um, but uh, also on social media, if you have any comments there, uh, Ace McKay will be handling those uh, comments for you. Joined here in the first segment by the woman who needs no introduction. The woman I describe to other people as somebody I am so glad that they're on my team, <laughs> <laughs> and that is the, the, the what is your, are you the supreme overlord? Of, no. no. The, the, the president I'm of?
2: The, I'm honored to be the president of Students for Life and Students for Life Action. That's Very my good. title.
1: You know, I told you a little story uh, uh, several summits ago. It wasn't here, but it was a, a place like this where they had like an astroturf lawn that we mm-hmm. could eat lunch. And I remember walking up to you, and you had one of your students with you. And I remember saying, you know, I couldn't help but notice abortion was still legal. Do you really have time to eat lunch? <laughs> and the student that was with you just sunk in her seat, and she's like, please don't tell her that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I am fasting, so it's, yeah. uh, that's very helpful. Well, there you go. So pray every day for the end of abortion. So
1: um, Students for Life, tell us a little bit. Give us a little overview sure. of what you do at Students for Life mm-hmm. before we get into the cesspool we find ourselves in.
2: I'm Kristen Hawkins. I'm the president of Students for Life of America and Students for Life Action. We go to high school, college, even middle school campuses, med school campuses, and we start pro-life organizations. And we help young people articulate the pro-life view, change minds about abortion to those who are most directly targeted by the abortion industry, and save lives by transforming their policies on campus so no one ever again. Feels like she has to choose between the life of her child, her education, or career. At Students for Life Action were involved at state capitals and Washington D.C. mobilizing this young generation. You might have seen, a, you know, a few tens of thousands of them holding on pro-life generation signs last year, week the March. But we're demanding that those we elect to office, uh, you know, hold true to what they've espoused in the campaigns, that they are pro-life. And we see legislation that is passed, laws enacted that save lives, that serve mothers uh, and transform our communities and creating this, you know, whole culture of life. So uh, young pro-lifers, you know, what I have said since we started Student Swipe 18 years ago, this is a generation that has the opportunity to see the end of abortion. We were honored to be there. I was honored to be there at the steps of the Supreme Court the day uh, Roe v. Wade came crumbling down, thrown to the ash heap of history. But that really wasn't our victory. That was the victory of those so many pro-life leaders uh, and our family members and our grandmothers and our mothers who fought before us for the 49 years in a row. Now it's our responsibility, this pro-life generation, to see abortion made unthinkable and unavailable throughout our land. And that's, that's our goal.
1: So on college campuses, just based on the educational system that we find ourselves Mm in, uh, I'm sure you run across many abortion-minded people. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the advantages that we have is that we know that the truth is written on the hearts of men. That's right. So they they know what the truth is. That's right, Jack. And they know what BS is Mm -hmm. when they hear it. Um, But if you speak with someone, for instance, Mm -hmm. who maybe is either doesn't Think much about it at all, or is 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 uh, abortion minded? You maybe open their eyes, give them something to think about, but that moment is fleeting, mm. and you're pushing them right back into that current of the culture mm. that is just uh, really difficult. For them to swim against. Mm-hmm. What kind. Do you have strategies to help people. Yeah. Sort of swim against that current. That yeah. they're going to find when they leave your conversation.
2: I mean that's why we have students for life groups. Right. Because we uh, believe in the evangelical model. A belong. Believe. And then behave. And we know from our research studies at our Dimitri Institute for Prolife Advancement, when you study those in the middle on abortion, the I don't like abortion but, the thing that we see over and over again with these young people is that you're right. It's written on the human heart to not like abortion because we all know it's killing a baby. But if people don't like us or they don't like who they think pro-lifers or Christians are, they're never going to listen to anything we have to say. And that's why Students for Life groups are so important because we're there on campuses transforming the campuses, fighting for pregnant mothers and families to choose life. We're changing minds, but we don't just go and leave. We set up this group of young people who are steeped in the Christian worldview who fight alongside each other together. They fight against the you know, discrimination of the, their administration or the backlash of of their professors or against the vandalization and the the violent threats and sometimes the violence that's committed upon them. They're together. And, And that's how you really, I think, Get beyond the just changing, you know. We're changing 10 to 15 percent of young people we have conversations with on campus. Online, it's 20 to 25 percent of young people we engage with. But then we've got to get them involved in the pro life movement. They've got to join the pro life group because the more they are around us, the more people get to know us as pro lifers and all that we do and how much we care for women and their families, the more they're actually going to believe what we say, the more they're actually going to listen to what we say. And then they're going to finally act. Then they're going to be fully member of the pro-life generation pledging to always vote pro-life first pledging to get involved in their local pregnancy center and maternity home so it it's definitely a process when you're walking someone through that
1: you know um it's really easy sometimes i wouldn't say easy this is not an easy issue regardless of Mm -hmm. which side that you're on but it's it's much easier to espouse to something or to walk a walk when really it doesn't at the end of the day cost you anything.
2: That's right. That's I can right. speak
1: from experience. as a Decades ago as a much younger man, uh, I was part of a campus charismatic evangelical group. We prayed at the abortion clinic in our mm-hmm. town. We did all of that stuff, but when I found myself in that situation, I acquiesced to the mm-hmm. wishes of this young woman and mm-hmm. to both of our detriments. Do you uh, warn these young yeah. people, for lack of a better term, of of you know this is easy now, but yeah. somewhere down the road it might actually cost you something.
2: Yeah, it's really hard. And the research that we've done, um, we found some some significant things. I think help play into what the conversation we're seeing right now. For example: post Ohio and the defeat and the. The, well, I guess the passage of the pro-abortion, ballot, the defeat of the pro-life movement there. And what's interesting is, and what we have to keep in mind, is that every young woman, um, majority of them, have in the back of their mind one get out jail free card. They don't like abortion, they may say they'll never have an abortion, but in the back of her mind she has one get out of jail free car, which is an abortion. And she won't tell you that, this is deep psychological things that are going on, and so when you ask, people ask questions about Ohio and how come, you know, people, Catholics, Christians voted against, you know, the pro-life position. It's because majority of people still, even though they say that they're pro-life, in the back of their mind think that there's they, if case something happens, they have a get out of jail free card. And that's why when we're talking about our opposition to abortion, we also need to be talking about what we're doing to support women, that no woman should ever have to feel like abortion is her only option, that we need to transform our culture to support pregnant and parenting young women. And that's actually why Students for Life has, uh, we have several young women who are leaders of our clubs that came to us pregnant, and chose life. And now this example, they're carting their child around campus as the pro-life leader. And I've actually taken criticism for that. How, how would you let these women who have sex, uh, who have babies, be leaders of the pro-life movement? And they're the best example that we have. Because against all obstacles, against everybody telling them in society, against their family, against people in their own parish telling them to have an abortion, they courageously chose life. And they're proving it to all their peers that you can, you can choose both. It's going to be Hard, and we're not saying it's not hard, but you don't have to end the life of your child in order to succeed. And we, and so you know, I often talk about the abortion lobby as they have this regressive vision for America, they think women should have to kill their baby. In order to succeed. And we have the progressive vision of the pro-life movement, that we should be demanding more and that we can stand beside her. And we need to say, look, you don't need that quote-unquote get-out-of-jail-free card that's in the back of your mind. Abortion should never be on the table because not only does it kill your child and your child's life, it's going to irreparably harm you for the rest of your life.
1: Regardless of what you might think today, then that's... Regardless of what you think Yeah, might that is today. absolutely... Can you, can you hang around for a couple more minutes? Sure, yeah. Got a, got a little break coming up, but I want to talk to you about uh, the theme of this year's march. Sure. I think addressed directly... Yeah. yeah a big criticism right. of the other side. And it yeah. was fantastic. So stay tuned. we got Kristen Hawkins, the president of students for life with us again. It's a very special edition of EWTN's open line Friday live from the, the Legatus summit in beautiful Dana point, California. So we won't be taking your phone calls today. Um, but uh, we'll be back at it again with those on Monday back with Kristen Hawkins in just a minute here on EWTN's open line Friday.
0: Send us an email to openline at EWTN.com.
1: As I told you at the beginning of the program, pay no attention to that man. Today we won't be taking your phone calls. We've got a very special edition of EWTN's Open Line Friday Live from the Legatus Summit. In beautiful Dana Point, California, talking with Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life. And uh, before we go any further, I want to give a big shout out to Maddie Schulte, um, <laughs> your director of development. She promised that she would have you here on time, and she delivered. She Good got me job here out of her. Um, so, we talked a little bit before the break about the uh, theme of this year's March for mm-hmm. Life. And one of the criticisms thrown at the pro-life movement on Ugh. a regular basis is that all we care about is, uh, you know... Babies, s- babies, before they're born. before they're born. Yes. And after they're born, the moms and the babies we don't care about anymore. But I think that the theme... Uh, not only the theme itself, but the execution of the yeah. theme was spectacular. Yeah. Talk a little bit about this With year's With every March for woman,
2: for every child. I was actually doing, uh, behind the stage of the March for Life, I was doing a media interview. And they said, well, this is an interesting development that the pro-life movement's trying this new strategy <laughs> to stand for women. And I l- laughed in the reporter's face. I said, have you ever met anybody in the pro-life movement? Because... This is what we did for the entire 49 years of the tyranny of Roe versus Wade. We supported, sustained entire social safety net of more than 3,000 pregnancy centers, maternity homes across America supporting men, women, and their families. And we never stopped. This is what the pro life movement does. We've never given up. And you know, I've called on campuses when I'm with students, Planned Parenthood, because I often hear this argument that pro-lifers don't care about women. And I'll say, you know what, let's call Planned Parenthood. And then let's call a pregnancy center. And the students always say, Oh, Planned Parenthood does all these things. I call them, I say, Do you provide diapers? No. Do you do mammograms? No. Do you do job training? No. Do you help me, you know, get on Medicaid or WIC? No. And you call a pregnancy center? And they're like, How can I help you? Of course we do that. Yes, come in. Yes, we have those free diapers. Yes, we have free formula. Yes, we can help you with all that people. Yes, we can find you a pro-life OBGYN. And so the the difference is just stunning between those who advocate for abortion and those who are pro-life. And so I was so excited about the March for Life theme this year. Because I think it highlighted all of the work that's being done across the country and was being done during the 50, 49 years of Roe versus Wade. And I think we need to push back stridently against that narrative that the mainstream legacy media tries to push against us. Because that's not who we are at all in the pro-life movement.
1: Um, a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, don't really understand what... The striking down of Roe actually Mm -hmm. accomplished, and they would ask you, "Why are you still marching?"
2: We're still marching because abortions are still happening in our country. Roe versus Wade, you know, said that abortion must be legal. In all 50 states. And we were able to chip away at that and make sure some states could restrict abortions, you know, when children can feel excruciating pain. But some states still allow abortion Maryland, Illinois, New York, uh, Vermont, uh, maybe soon to be New Hampshire, allow abortions up until the moment of birth. It's stunning, right? But what Rose Reversal did, it said states now can also weigh in. Now, it doesn't say states can only, only states can weigh in. It says, can also weigh in. That's what the Dobbs decision says. So that means there is a role for the federal government, there's a role for state governments, and there's a role for local governments in abolishing abortion, of making it unthinkable and unavailable. And that's what we're doing. That's why we launched Students for Life Action in 2019 to get our young people out to state capitals demanding that our state legislatures act swiftly to protect as many children as many mothers as they can while we're also working in Washington DC to stop the expansion, the proliferation of chemical abortion pills that lead to injury, infertility, and death of mothers. They are the drug of choice by rapists and sex abusers. These chemicals after they kill a baby are entering our waterways and polluting our waterways with known endocrine disruptors that NIH public studies have said harm fish, plant, and animal life. It goes far beyond just killing babies. So there is a role for everybody, no matter if you're at the local or state or federal level, to get engaged to abolish abortion. We will not be done, Jack, until the federal government of our United States recognizes in the 14th Amendment That when we say person, we mean an unborn human being in the womb as well. And that person, at the very minimum, has the right not to be violently killed in the womb. That is the ultimate goal of the pro-life movement. It's a constitutional protection of every child, born and pre-born.
1: What about dudes? I think dudes dudes... Dudes have as much or more right. to do with abortion situations than the women do, yet the legacy media and the opposition right. would have them eliminated from the conversation right. today.
2: Well, let's, let's back that up, Jack. If you are pro-abortion and you're a dude, you are welcome into the conversation. If you're pro-life and a dude, you're told to sit down and shut up. So let's just acknowledge that. But yes, you're absolutely right. If you look at the Guttmacher statistics, the Planned Parenthood research arm was named after Alan Guttmacher, second Planned Parenthood president, a known eugenicist. They are a pro-abortion research outlet. Their studies prove time and time again the majority of women who choose abortion choose abortion because they feel like or have been told directly from their partner that they will not support them. Men... Are, have the biggest role in saving the life of their child. Sadly, what we see on campus is we have a generation now of young women who, young, well, young men who've been raised by mothers who have told their sons they don't have a say on abortion at all. We need young men to step up and say, it's very simple. You don't have to do this. You have a choice. I will help you do this. Just saying that, just telling her you don't have to do this, I will help you, it's unbelievable the difference it makes. But we need to train our young men to be men and to be the heroes of that situation.
1: Um, wishing this away is not gonna, is not gonna no. take care of the That's problem. Fine. And unfortunately, as, as, as seedy as it can be sometimes, there are avenues that we have to go through if any of this is gonna change.
2: There's absolutely. There's a lot of things we have to do to abolish abortion. We have to be providing better community support. We need to be highlighting that community support. One of the things we found is shocking our campaign for abortion free cities. 75% of the neighbors that we door knock in neighborhoods surrounding abortion facilities have never heard of a pregnancy center or maternity home. We need to do a better job of just telling the world what it is that we do. We need to be passing things like, for example, next week in Congress, the child tax credit. Those things we need to be doing requiring Republican leaders to step up and lead. We saw our Students for Life Action first federally inspired bill passed the House, right before the March for Life, the Parent Student Rights Act. To simply tell girls in college campuses, you have Title IX guaranteed rights. Your school cannot discriminate against you for choosing life. We need to do that. There's so much we can do beyond just let's pass a law that restricts a certain amount of abortions, a certain type of abortions. We also need to hold ourselves accountable for creating that entire culture of life.
1: Who needs to be involved in this fight?
2: Every single one of us. Who? Every Every person listening to this radio broadcast needs to be join us in ending abortion. And I understand. There's so many different niches in the pro-life movement. You might be a person that says, I don't want to be in politics. I'll just vote pro-life. Great. But what can you do at your parish? Are you providing, are you helping bring in post-abortive healing retreats? Are you volunteering at a local pregnancy center? Are you starting a Students for Life group? Are you mentoring a Students for Life group? Are you going to your state capitol? Are you advocating for legislation to help women and families after they choose life? There's so much we can do. There's literally a role for every single person, no matter the spiritual gifts that you've been given. God needs you. He needs us, every one of us, the body in this fight
1: there's way too much that has to be done here for one person or one group to Absolutely. carry the management.
2: Absolutely. We need every single pro-life group. I often hear these comments of like, well, I support this pro-life group, or I, I do this. I'm like, we need all of us. There's not enough of us. There's not, um, a, I guess, a competition between pro-life groups. I, I Actually, one of the things we do at Students for Life is we mentor our young people to start new groups, to find innovative strategies to tackle problems. We are all on the same team, and we may have different strategies or different visions for how we're going to abolish abortion, but we are all moving in that same direction. We're all swimming in the same lane, and that's a good, good thing. That's a healthy social movement dedicated to saving lives.
1: So people are sending their kids off to this... I don't even know the right adjective to use for our higher education system today. If they're sending their children off they're going to have them look for a Newman Center. They're going to have them Absolutely. look for a, a campus that has focus. How are they going to get involved in Students for Life yeah. when they get to the college campus?
2: Well, you can go to studentsforlife.org. We have a beautiful map on the homepage. You can find where all the Students for Life groups are. If you're thinking about where to send your kids or you know, telling your grandkids where they should uh, get involved, go to school, Definitely look for Newman Centers, look for active Newman Centers, look for students for life groups on those campuses, because you need your young people, we need our young people on these campuses to find others who share, at minimum, a Christian worldview with them, because they, from the moment they step on campus, these young people are under attack 100%. And th- the stories that we hear from these students are unbelievable of the obstacles they face, so they have got to find. You don't have to send your kid to a, a Catholic college. Even Sometimes I would say don't send your kid to a Catholic <laughs> college. We have our Institute for Political Advancement.org. Uh, we have a whole list of Christian schools that support abortion. It's over 60. It's unbelievable. We've kicked Planned Parenthood off of about... 25 christian campuses but we still have 60 campuses across the united states christian campuses who have an open and public relationship with the leading abortion in our nation so you don't have to it doesn't always have to be a catholic school but it's got to be a school with a good newman center a good priest a good catholic base of students those are the schools i'm looking at for my children i have a very short list of the schools i told my kids they can they can attend because sadly i've seen it all
1: So just a couple minutes left here. Um, What would you say is the number one obstacle that you see uh, to forwarding uh, the pro-life message in this culture?
2: I think it starts with us. You know, one of the things I ask every time I speak in front of a, you know, quote, unquote, an adult audience, not a student's audience, (laughs) is the hardest thing that I need folks to do beyond donating, which I need you to donate. But the hardest thing is believing You have to believe that it's possible. We believe in an almighty God who spoke the world into existence. Yet I can't tell you how many times, Jack, I have conversations with believers, with Catholics across the country who tell me ending abortion is not possible. This is too hard. What you're trying to do is never going to work. It's simple sports psychology. Winners envision the win. If we are going to abolish abortion in our nation, we have to believe it, and we have to see it in our mind's eye. And we have to work towards that goal. When we all believe. I mean, that's just the problem right now of the Republican Party. We have far too many people for years have courted pro-lifers to vote for them. And now after Roseman reversed, they're like, oh, it's too hard. I can't do anything for you. There's no option for you. They never have believed that abolishing abortion is possible, and they're not working to do that. We need to hold those GOP leaders accountable, and we need to hold ourselves accountable to believing in the almighty God who spoke the world existence, the one we serve.
1: Kristen Hawkins, thanks so much for being so gracious with your time. Where can they find more about Students for Life?
2: Go to studentsforlife.org.
1: It's EWTN's Open Line Friday, live from the Legata Summit in beautiful Dana Point, California.
0: This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: Welcome back. It's a very special edition of EWTN's Open Line Friday Live from the Legata Summit here in beautiful Dana Point, California. And we are delighted to be joined by Father Mike Schmitz from the Diocese of Duluth, Minnesota, eh?
3: Yeah, that's that's right. You betcha. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> Oofta.
1: Yeah, so I uh, a, made a big announcement a couple of weeks ago, uh, Father Mike and Ascension Press partnering with EWTN, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but uh, do these palm trees frighten you coming from
3: Minnesota? They, they don't frighten me, they excite me. Okay. They really, it's, it really is. When I first came to, my first trip ever, I think, to California, I was in fourth grade visiting my uncle who lived in Anaheim and was a writer and an actor out here, and we were thinking, like, these are palm trees, like in movies. This is, this is it. This is where... This is where it all happens.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. So um, you are a priest of the Diocese of Duluth. Yep. You are the vocations director. Nope, no, I'm, no, the, you I'm are the director of youth ministry. Youth ministry. And the
3: chaplain for the University of Minnesota Duluth Newman Center.
1: Yeah, go, uh, what are we? at? Bulldogs. Go Bulldogs. Yep, so
3: bulldogcatholic.org is our... Yeah, uh,
1: I'm, a, I'm a native St. Louisan, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, Brett Hall was a, uh, a Bulldog. Yes, yes, he was. Yeah, so... Yep,
3: we have a lot of, a lot of uh, professional hockey players go through UMD. Yeah, yeah, especially especially when a couple every every year that they win the national championship, it's like the whole team just gets they get hired yeah. by the NHL, and it's, it's like great, we'll see you guys.
1: It's a great resume, it's yeah. a great resume, and you can see Wisconsin from there.
3: Yeah, that's actually the best thing. So right across the, the bay, across the bridge, is the town of Superior, Wisconsin, and the best thing about Superior, Wisconsin, is they have the most incredible view because they they get to wake up every morning and look at Minnesota. <laughs> well, there you go.
1: We have an affiliate <laughs> in Superior. Yeah, that are listening to us now, so they can attest to no, what it's, you're telling it's, them.
3: You know, whenever, uh, so you know, also so, speaking of Wisconsin, they have Our Lady of Champion, right? That's mm-hmm, right in, in Green Bay, which is amazing and, and incredible. The only apparition of Our Lady approved. Approved. App, approved. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yep, <laughs> uh, approved apparition of Our Lady in North America. I don't want to take away and, what's
1: go, what goes on in your room every night before you no. go to bed. So. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: and 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 so people are like, you, "Have you ever been? Have you been to Our Lady of Champion?" And I haven't because it is it's, it's, the only. It's incredible. The only approved Marian apparition in. North America, but the problem is you have to go to Wisconsin to see it. You know that's the. <laughs> so, I once was in Michigan and I said that, and they blanked. It was crickets. And I was like, "You guys, pretend it was in Ohio." They're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah,
1: yeah then they're all. We love
3: Wisconsin My bishop is from Green Bay, so yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. we yeah. love them all. So let me ask you a question. You. Um have gained a certain amount of notoriety for the talks that you've given at, at conferences like Seek and, and otherwise. And, and first of all, I didn't realize that diocesan priests were given the charism of perpetual twenty-eight year oldness.
3: <laughs> uh, that is, uh, I don't, I didn't, I didn't realize that either. <laughs> um,
1: but um, you know, what are the obstacles to having a permanent gig in mm-hmm. Duluth and being in demand? Yeah. On a national level, on a national scale,
3: I think uh, you know. There, I think there's a good sense of uh, a figuring out what the balance is, and so what, what is the baseline? What are what are the boundaries? And I remember years ago, um, we brought Father Larry Richards to our diocese to do a men's conference, and he's he's incredible, just yeah. a, awesome. It was it was this, this men's conference where he just again just set these men on fire. Holy Spirit was amazing. The night before, we took him out to dinner, just trying to be good hosts, and he shared that one of his kind of hard and fast rules was that if he ever goes anywhere, he has to be back for weekend masses, Sunday masses. i like, okay, that's it. If I ever get invited, that's the first rule, is I have to be back on campus for the weekend masses. And, and so that's, that's the first kind of thing because ultimately what it really is, is a bunch of years ago, you're trying to say yes to opportunities and trying to say yes to like, oh, someone wants, you know, they're having an event. You want it to be successful and want to be able to go and, and do whatever I could to help. Um, but I had been saying no a lot. Um, I'd say I'd probably say no 199 times out of every 200 invitations. And um, one of our students, at one point she was a maybe junior or senior. She said, Father, do you think it's time for you to not be in campus ministry anymore? I was like, I, I don't know why, why, do you, why, why would you say that? <laughs> and she said, do you have time for us anymore? And it was one of those like gut, you know, knife to the heart kind of moments where it was just like, oh, you know, and this was after, like, I say no to all the time. I say no to everybody. But she was like, no, as, as students here, it's, it feels like, you know, uh, the only, the, the thing that matters to them. We have
1: them, to go to seek to see you.
3: Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing that matters to them is spiritual fatherhood. And that's the, and that's if there's anything that is really truly the heart of the priesthood, I remember when I was in in seminary, they would talk about how well you know the priesthood. You're not a sacramental minister. You're not meant to be or a sacramental dispenser. You know that kind of thing. But they were trying to articulate what is at the heart of the priesthood, and, and the th- best they could come up with, and this is you know a bunch of years ago, was a uh, ministry of presence. Like okay, but that still doesn't capture anything. It wasn't until maybe ten plus years ago where I was talking with a brother priest, and it was. It was painfully uh, obvious that the heart of the priesthood is fatherhood, spiritual fatherhood, and and every priest who has been successful as a priest is been, is because they've they've been present and have lived out spiritual fatherhood. And every I think priest who hasn't is because they've fallen into something else. They're whatever whatever the other thing is, um, and so that that is a when you ma- when you ask how do you balance between. That work on campus and going places is uh, knowing that the heart of what I'm doing, if I'm failing to be a spiritual father, then I'm failing as a priest.
1: So I'm sure you came out of the womb wanting to be a priest?
3: (laughs) No. 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 Nope. Nope. No. I mean, sometimes, you know, talk to people who are like, oh, my, you know, my son, he's six. He wants to be a priest. I'm like, okay. Okay. (laughs) That's great. Wonderful. Keep going. Keep praying.
1: But I'm sure your family was a huge part of fostering. Oh education. yeah, for sure, for Ultimately. sure.
3: And so, so you know, my, my parents. I always say we were, came from a really normal Catholic family in the sense of, uh, and people say what's normal. Well, we would pray before meals. Uh, went to Catholic elementary school because that's what we had as an option to do. We went to Sunday mass. That was that was inviolable. Like you had to go to Sunday mass. That was if we're on vacation, they have Sunday mass there too. So you know that kind of thing. Um, but not like you know, we didn't have a family rosary or, or anything. All that's great. Uh, we just didn't. It was very, very normal, Um, or maybe baseline, you might say, uh, with that baseline being very firm. So again, when it comes to mass, we're there. When it comes to prayer, of course we do this. But I didn't, I grew up not really liking going to church. Um, I didn't like that I had to go to a Catholic school. Because um, all the girls were at the public school, and I was like, "Why am I?" There's, there's, there. There were eight kids in my you know eighth grade graduating class from Catholic school, and wow. and five of them were girls. The other three of us were boys. And I'm like, "This the slim pickings here. We got we got to <laughs> get to the public school." Um, but but yeah, I did not like going to mass, and until there was a moment of of the encounter with Jesus when I was fifteen, sixteen years old, that changed everything. And that not only was, it was here's here is so all the things you're saying. All the things my parents had had done for us, all the the Catholic school we had been to, all the mass we had been to, all the times that I went to confession even though I didn't want to or didn't think I needed to, at one point when I experienced the the conviction, the power of the Holy Spirit, it was, I know what to do now. I remember having this conviction of, I need to pray and I need to go to confession. And, And because my parents had done such a good job of just like, no, the church is, that's where the church is. You know how to get there. I didn't know the rules about confession. But I, I knew where the priest lived because, again, showing up. So I, at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, I rode my bike across town. And I knocked on the priest's door. And he was there because priests only work one day a week. Which and, uh, and, you've come to learn. Right. <laughs> right? And, and I was like, Father, can I go to confession? Sure, come on in. So I went to confession. And I stepped out uh, of that house on the porch with three thoughts very, very clearly. My first thought was I was just filled with gratitude. It was just, God, thank you so much. I walked in here and I just was dead in sin. I mean, I even had that language, you know, dead in sin. Uh, and now you've made me new, you've completely set me free. My second thought was, God, if you want me to be a priest, I will hear anyone's confession anytime they ask. And I'd never ever, ever thought about being a priest before because I didn't like going to mass. I didn't like really like church much. Um, but those were the first two thoughts. Again, God, thank you so much. God, if you want me to be a priest, I'll, I'll hear anyone's confession. My third thought was, oh, she's really cute. Um, but yeah. like, But it was the sense of like that set me on this path of, God, what do you want me to do? Because you're real. Like that, okay, I know that sin is real. I know that your grace is real. You are real. I encountered him in, in confession. And then I also, after that, encountered Jesus in, in the Eucharist. And that changed everything. It was like, God, I'm sold. Whatever it is you want me to do, I will do it.
1: You know, we talk a lot about the vocations crisis to the priesthood and and to consecrated life. Um, I think, and you would know this better than I would being in the in the college environment that you're in, I think we're on the verge of a vocations crisis, period. Yeah. Young people are not going to get married. Right. And I don't think people understand, especially even in the Catholic world, everybody has a vocation.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and
1: everybody has a responsibility to discern what that vocation is.
3: Yeah, what is God calling us to? And that's a th- that sense of, I mean, if you just return to this basic uh, you know, scriptural principle, Christian principle uh, of, you are not your own. You've been purchased at a price. And so, okay, God, what is it that you, that you want me to do? How is it that you want me to spend my life? Because I think a lot of us end up wasting our lives. And even if, I, if I'm wasting it on myself, I'm still wasting my life as opposed to, if I realize, if I believe, if I truly believe that God has created uh, each of us on purpose and he's created us each of us for a purpose and that he's redeemed us on purpose and <laughs> redeemed us for a purpose, then the question we have to ask is, God, what is that? What is that purpose? Also, so one of the things that happens a lot of times, we have like a Steubenville conference, you know, the youth conference who I love. Um, on Sunday, uh, we have a vocations call. And so we ask, you know, any young women, we have the, all the religious sisters who have been there the weekend, you know, come on up, you know, and everyone's like, they're just ja- jazzed to see these religious sisters. And, and then it, young women, if, if you think maybe the Lord might have a place to call in your heart to be a bride of Christ, you know, come forward and we'll pray with you. And a lot of women come forward and it's great. And then guys, we have the priests come up. And guys, if you have that thing that maybe God's calling you to serve his church as a priest, come forward. And then all the young men come forward. And one of the things I'll always bring up for the young men is, here's what's going to happen. And this is for the young ladies as well. Um, For the young men is, you will go home and you may tomorrow say, I'm not going to pray. And the next day, I'm not going to pray. And the next week and month, I'm not going to pray because you're afraid that if you pray and get close to Jesus, He's going to make you be a priest because you you did the vocation call thing. And so, and like, you have this fear. This that sometimes that's the fear. If I get close to Jesus, He's going to make me be a priest. And so, I ask the dads, the biological dads and adoptive dads in the in the crowd to stand up, and everyone's. Excited to see them as well. They're chaperones, you know. It's um, like, Dads, do you love being a dad? Yeah, yeah. You know, does being a dad bring you joy? Yeah, absolutely. You know, is there any other life? No, I love this. Is being a dad hard? Like, yes. You know, does it, are there times when it just is beat you down? Yes. You know, and then priests, guys, do you love being a priest? Yes. It brings you joy? Yes. You know, is it hard? Yes. Is it, uh, it, uh, is it, is it going to kill you? Yes. And so they say, okay, young men, pick your poison. It's either die as a husband and father or die as a priest. But the call of Jesus is always, come follow me and die. I mean, always. And I think that's the key is that I don't want to. I mean, it's all of us and every one of our hearts. If the call to be a husband and father is come follow Jesus and die, I don't know if I want that. If the call to be a priest is come follow Jesus and die, I don't know if I want that. And same with the, 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 wi- the wi- female women, women's call to like, come follow Jesus and die um, because what I'm declaring is my life is not mine. And, I, I, and, and I, that's a it's, a, it's on display with this across the board lack of response to God's voice, hesitation to actually risk. I mean, hesitation to make a promise for life because that's every vocation involves that at some degree. And I'm making a promise for my life and I'm saying, um, God, when the day comes when I don't want this anymore, I'll still do it. When the day comes where, where I'm out of love, I'll still choose love. When the day comes where I want to take back my, my yes, I'm not going to. It's yours. And so I think there's something in all of us that it wants, it hesitates to do that. And I think that we're in a kind of a crisis point in our culture because I don't know that we're sharing how to choose the cross well and that that also can bring us joy.
1: You know, I hate, I, I hate to rail on other generations. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't think that that's fair most of the yeah, time. Yeah, it's not always
3: helpful fair. But
1: there are certain facts in our culture mm-hmm. that are facts in our culture. And that is that we have uh, a couple of generations in America of people, and not everybody, there are isolated instances, yeah. who really have never experienced any real level of uncomfortableness.
3: Yeah. Yeah, there's. There,
1: a, there, we, there, we, we haven't had a war that we right. fought through or anything like that, and I think that there is a big fear of not being comfortable.
3: Well, there. Not only that, I mean, just there's a book. Uh, it's a secular book by a man named Michael Easter. There's a lot of language in it, um, but it's called the Comfort Crisis. And in this book, the Comfort Crisis, he talks about this. He talks about how, how yeah, we we live in uh, everything's conditioned in the sense of air-conditioned if it's too hot or it's warm-conditioned if it's too cold. Um, There's that sense of, we rarely go a long time. I mean, obviously, discomfort can get to an extreme place, right, where this is no longer helpful for anyone. But at the same time, it's been even biologically, physiologically demonstrated, even neurologically demonstrated, that to encounter some degree of of discomfort, some degree of of pain and suffering, is actually good for us. Um, Now again, not unmitigated and, and not without purpose, but there 's an aspect where uh, what is happening to us if we yeah, walk through life and completely always completely comfortable um, or in that discomfort we 're not given a reason so I, one of the things I, that I, I found is happens a lot is we have a lot of young people as I said, I work with the office of youth Ministry, a lot of young people who they've heard from their early lives that God is good, God loves them. And they believe it. And then their first encounter with suffering throws all of that into question. And so what they have is what we call like blue sky faith. Like, oh yeah, God loves me and God is good. And so, of course, that's why I have all these great things in my life. But then when there's suffering, that seems like, well, this doesn't make immediate sense. What do you do with this kind of suffering? They don't know what to do with it. And I think about but the early church, what happened? Well, they first encountered the suffering and then they encountered the good news that God is good and God loves them. And so that it's like, wait a second, I, I, I knew the cross long before I knew that Jesus was on the cross. It's, I knew Jesus and he's good and He's loved me. he loves me and the father is good and he loves me. And now I have that question of, how do I make sense of suffering? And I think there's a piece there where you have to realize that uh, God can be a good father and allow us to suffer. And there's something so so critical about this. And I think when I always say that uh, one of the reasons why we struggle with that is because of parents. And the reason what I mean by that is, is what does a good parent right now do? It, a good parent says, okay, if you're in, if you're in a place of pain, I'll, I'm going to take you out of that place of pain. I mean, helicopter parents is a reality, right? That sense of like, you're in trouble, I'm taking you out of the trouble. But now we have even what we call them Minnesota Zamboni parents. So Zamboni is that machine that goes on the ice and makes sure all the rough spots are are gone. So Zamboni parent is like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to pave the way for you so that, because I don't want you to be in any kind of distress. I don't want you to be in difficulty. I don't want you to be in any danger. And that's what a good parent does. So if that's what a good parent does, either they pave the way. So you're not in struggle or, or in strife or in suffering, or they take you out of suffering when you're in there. And then here's God, who's a good father, but he doesn't always pave the way. And he doesn't always take us out of that. Then God must not be good as opposed to the reality that a parent's primary job, yes, at some level, is to keep their children safe. But it's even greater than that. The primary job of a parent is to make their children strong. Because you can't, we can't make the world any less dangerous. We can just help our children become more courageous. And so that, 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 that's what God, our good Father, in so many ways is doing. That is the story of Jesus, right? His beloved Son, who he doesn't spare, not because he doesn't love him, but because there's something incredible that happens when that suffering is voluntarily surrendered to and undergone with the Father's presence and with our, our Lord's presence, the Holy Spirit. And there's something that's true for us too, that the goal of our life is not to escape pain. The goal of our life is to be like Jesus. And so that, that sense of, okay, God, even in the midst of this suffering that I don't understand, I trust you. And, and that kind of heart is is like nothing else,
1: so um you have a nice relationship with Ascension press, and yeah, out yeah. of that relationship came this crazy podcast situation, yeah, where Father Mike sits around and reads the Bible, <laughs> just, just stand there at
3: my desk and just <laughs> talking to a microphone, reading off the Bible, yeah,
1: how blown away are you by the success that this thing has had
3: you know it's i'm just i'm I'm really moved um, and I'm not i you, I like the way you, you phrase that because the success of it um, sounds like my immediate thought when I heard the term when I hear the term success I typically think of um, like popularity right so like fame about it and that that's that's neither here nor there the part that's successful is the number of emails or letters that I'll get from people who will say I was an atheist and started reading the Bible listening to the Bible in here or um, I. 78 years old, I fell away from the church for 50 years. I just went back to confession. Um, the atheist saying like, I now believe in God and I believe that Jesus is the Lord. You know, that's, it happens every day, multiple times a day. And like when talking about success, like again, impact, the splash, the, uh, the the fame or popularity of it, that's important because that means more people are listening. But success part of it is the fact that lives are changed. I, there, I was at SEEK, you mentioned SEEK. And there was, I was doing this kind of like just visiting with students in the space of only a couple hours, I had at least six college students come up and say, my parents, uh, our family was not doing well. And my parents decided to listen to the Bible and hear together. And now we have a whole different family. And it, that, that, that's just the family. Like uh, their whole family, they, they said, were transformed because of God's word. And that's not to mention the uh, number of individuals who say, say something similar. So it's amazing. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm stoked that EWTN, is uh is carrying it now too because just well get that's it to everybody. the the
1: big announcement we made a couple of weeks ago. Starting on the twenty second of January, we started carrying Bible in a year and Catechism a year in a year in an uh, in an hour block at ten p.m. Eastern time. And I just think it's so cool that you agree to stay up and read that yep. every night. Every For night, us, I don't get any sleep anymore. But yeah, just stand
3: there and just here we are again, America. <laughs> Let's
1: go. <laughs> it's a great deal, but it's a great. You know, we're we're, we're very grateful to. Ascension Press for making that available to us. And, um, you know, we'll be playing it on the days that it was intended to be yeah. played. Uh, we'll play, they'll get a double dose on the 28th and 29th this year with it being a leap year. Right. You didn't do a leap year episode. No, no, no. Just, we just wanted 365. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. So, um, you know, it, it has obviously, the, the numbers speak for themselves. It's been wildly popular. You mentioned the testimonies that you've Heard that have come out of it, um, you know, the truth is the truth, and it yeah. speaks to the hearts of people. And I think it's important in this situation that someone can listen to it without the current of the culture affecting yeah. them while they're listening to it.
3: You know, I, I there's a two great books. One is called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, out of University of Mary in Bismarck, and the new book is called The Religion of the Day. And um, in the first book from Christendom to Apostolic Mission, it makes the case that we're no longer living in Christendom. We're no, lo- no longer living in a place where a culture that supports what we believe as Christians, as Catholics. And so we have to realize that that is, that is the case. We no longer live in Christendom, and now we live in the, a similar culture to the apostles originally, where the culture was not friendly, culture was not open, culture was at times ignorant or hostile. The second book, The Religion of the Day, just came out. And one of, the, one of the theses that they're, one of the points they're making is that we have to realize that in professing faith in the narrative, the biblical narrative, professing faith in, in, in Catholicism, that story saying that story is true, I'm also saying that the story that the culture preaches is not true, And I have to realize that I'm being converted out of one story out of one culture into a different story, into a different culture, and that's so powerful because as you said, um, yeah, the, uh, the world around us, uh, the culture, there are some points we m- m- come into contact with each other, uh, but there's a lot of places where um, we do not. We diverge from each other and are even opposed to each other, and it's important for us to realize there's some things, because we, we want to fit in. I mean, that's, that's that the human heart just wants to fit in, but we can't in so many ways.
1: Well, and I think it's a testimony to your desire to keep warm in Minnesota and not stand still for too long. Bible in a year wasn't enough. You had to go catechism in a year on top of
3: it. Well, you know, the original plan was I said, Ascension, what, how about we do the Bible and catechism in one year? And they said, great idea. And then they said, that's a lot of stuff, a lot of content, <laughs> one hour episodes every day. And so they said, let's split it up. And so, yeah, now we've done the catechism in a year. And, uh, and that's been, that's been, that was, that was a great gift.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, we've mentioned SEEK. For those for anyone who's lived under a Catholic rock and doesn't know (laughs) what SEEK is, that's the the, the big annual gathering for FOCUS, Fellowship of of Catholic University Students, uh, that happens every year. You've become a fixture at that particular event. You mentioned the Steubenville Conferences um, that that have affected so many lives, and you you hear the individual stories after the fact when these people have really allowed their faith to guide where they were going to go in life. But let's be honest, for the overwhelming majority of these masses of students that are attending these events sometimes, those moments are fleeting. Yeah. And I'm sure you see that on the college campus. Well, you
3: know, the, the coolest thing, uh, when I was at Seek, and there were 20 to 24,000 Catholic college students there. And I was talking to some people who were asking about, like, uh, how does this happen? How does Seek happen? And just Or is it just, here's a momentary, here's a week long of some great stuff, you know, great prayer opportunities and talks and whatnot. And one of the the things that my attention kept coming back to is, because I know how it happens on our campus, we brought over 100 students from Duluth down to St. Louis for this event. Every one of those 100 students plus, every one of those 20,000 students plus, were there because of a relationship. The either because they love Jesus, or because there was someone who had invested deeply in their lives who said, hey, I'd really like you to come down to St. Louis from January 1st to January 5th of 2024, 2024 um, and spend this time. And, and so it, it, so the powerful thing about this is we recognize that the heart wasn't, no one saw a poster, no one saw uh, an email, no one got uh, came across a website and said, oh, I'm gonna go to that thing. It was almost always because a friend or a family member Invited them, and that's I'm. I'm convinced when it comes to evangelizing our culture that yes, we have radio, right? We have podcasts, we have speakers, all these kind of things, which is necessary. But I believe that the gospel will transform our culture through friendship and through family. And and because that's, we have twenty thousand people here because of friendship and because of family. And that means everyone can do this, right? That means that everyone listening to this right now is like, oh man, I can't be on EWTN, I can't do this. Yeah, but you can be someone's friend, and you can love your family.
1: So Bible in a Year, Catechism in a Year from our good friends at Ascension Press. You can hear it on EWTN Radio seven days a week at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Father Mike, would you leave us with a blessing?
3: Absolutely. May Almighty God bless you all, all those who are listening, now and forever in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. Our thanks, uh, very special thanks to Father Mike Schmitz, also Kristen Hawkins, the president of students for life as we come to you live from the legatus summit in beautiful dana point california back at it again on monday with father john tragilio until we get together then god bless